Welcome to Let's Jaws for a Minute, the podcast which takes a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic film Jaws, minute by minute or thereabouts. I'm Sarah Buddery. And I'm MJ Smith. And uh, we're in the final five, Sarah. (laughs) I can't believe it. (laughs) This is episode 75 of 80. Uh, Mm -hmm. Buck wild that we only have like a (laughs) month left. This is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can't process it. It's actually... It's too much for me to think about. <laughs> yeah, we were um, we were talking something about schedule the other day, and I just I looked at April and I was like, oh, we're gonna be done, w- like a- after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, real soon. <laughs> yeah, so uh, not a lot of movie left, but still a lot to talk about. Yeah, so this week's scene is one hour and fifty five minutes. And 42 seconds through one hour and 56 minutes and 54 seconds. It's a total of one minute and 12 seconds, if you're keeping score at home. Um, in this scene, the shark gets tangled in the the, the top of the, the, I think it's called the bridle, of where the um, shark cage is attached to the winch that brings it up. Uh, and lowers it into the water that's on the orca, and it rolls on top of the cage and pulls the cage off of the orca, winch and all. Um, and then we get we go back to the orca for the most orca stuff we've seen in a in a in a couple minutes. Um, we see uh, Brody and Quint trying to to winch it back up but they're fighting the shark and brody's freaking out because it's on top of it um and then eventually the winch gets pulled off and uh they try to rig it back up so they can pull it up and they pull it up and hooper is nowhere to be found in the cage uh and then we cut we we end today's scene on a shot of quint uh looking quite alarmed staring out at the open ocean and that's basically the scene, but there's a lot to talk about um, with this scene. So, Sarah, what uh, what did you notice about that scene? Yeah, there really is a lot to talk about in this week's scene. And I can't remember if we mentioned it in previous episodes um, or hinted that we would be talking a bit more about the, the sort of the real shark footage. Mm-hmm. Um, we both watched the documentary Playing with Sharks, which is about uh, Ron and Val Taylor, but mostly Val Taylor. Um, so maybe we'll maybe we'll do that later and sort of like cover the stuff like in the scene first, I think, and then we can talk about the the kind of shark footage stuff to to close things out because um, a lot of interesting stuff to talk about there. I mean, I'm sure it will <laughs> continue to come up as we talk, but yeah, I I didn't realize how much good stuff there was in this scene, and I think that the thing that jumped out to me the most is how much this scene is setting up the fact that Brody is going to be the hero. Mm-hmm. And we know what happens. We know that Brody is the one that sort of puts the 
the tank in the shark's mouth and, and pulls the trigger and blows the shark up. Like, we, we know all of that. But this second half of the film, Brody has been on this sort of real journey of, like, growing up and finding his feet almost and going through these these different phases of, of confidence and anxiety. And he's really been through it all. So if anyone says that Brody doesn't do anything in the second half of the film, they are wrong. Um, but what I noticed in in this week's scene is, like, he's the one calling the shots um and i just think that's really interesting because i think earlier in the film it's it or at least earlier in the second half of the film it's all quint it's you know hooper do this brody do that get this grab that turn that drive in that direction whatever um but this scene like quint says one thing i think mm-hmm. which is when it's uh it's about to give way isn't it yeah um and brody kind of does all the rest of the talking and he is the one like telling quint what to do and i think it's both really important in terms of us seeing brody's character development but also setting up that brody is kind of in charge now (laughs) like hooper is hooper is gone that for the character's perspective at least hooper is dead uh quint is kind of checked out mentally (laughs) i think at this point um He's still like the 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 final bit where he sort of looks out to see. You know, he's not completely gone away. That he's not got any uh, sort of idea of what's going on. I mean, he he his attention's very quickly turned towards the shark, so he's not so checked out that he's just you know like whatever, just allow this to happen. But he's not the Quint that we saw earlier. Like uh, a lot has sort of happened. A lot has worn him down over time, and you're starting to see that i think getting to him and he's not that kind of confident cocky leader that he was earlier and it's just interesting to see that dynamic change i thought yeah um <clears throat> i think two uh one really good point i hadn't considered any of that uh <laughs> but yeah absolutely that's what's happening in this scene is it's it's definitely <laughs> setting him up as the hero um the, the the ultimate hero like they're all heroes right like all three of them mm-hmm. but the, 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 he's still the driving force of the film, right? We've spent the most time with him. Um, but also, <clears throat> I think this scene is really good at showing how, how far Brody has come, but also how he is able to use his unique set of skills um, as a police officer. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, once again, not arresting the shark. We've been through this. But, um, <laughs> you know... In an ideal world, the police are there to help in emergency situations. And this is an emergency situation. So even though it's his biggest fear, even though it's the water, Brody's still pretty cool-headed about it because his job is Mm. to be cool-headed in situations like this. Um, Mm -hmm. Also, I think we've talked about this on the show before, as an anxiety sufferer, uh, emergency situations are kind of the best for us because our anxiety mm-hmm. is like, I told you, here's something <laughs> to worry about. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So he he has he finally has something to actually worry about in this scene. And also his job is to, you know, to uh, help people in situations like this. Like it's it's the it's the motto of the LAPD, but I think it's become synonymous with the police force, uh, sometimes ironically, but to protect and to serve. 
is is like the 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 uh, the platonic ideal of what a police force should be there to do, and so that's what Brody's doing. Like he's trying to protect Hooper, right? Like he's like, hey, this like shit's going sideways. We gotta get. We gotta do something about this. Um, mm. And it's almost like looking out for his fellow officers at this point too, right? Like you're you're if something's happening with the suspect or whatever and they're going after one of your fellow officers, you're going to try to protect the fellow officer while also dealing with the suspect uh, at mm-hmm. the same time. So like splitting that attention, right? So he's trying to pay it. He's got one eye on the shark, one eye on the winch, right? So he's like, it's on, mm-hmm. it's on top of the cage. Get it up. Like we got to, we got to move on this. Like and he even tells him like, what are you waiting for at one <laughs> point, which is a ballsy thing to say to Quint, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. particularly in this moment. And Quint doesn't question him. I think that's, uh, a really important thing too is that he's like, "Hey, this is uh this is your territory. Like, this is emergency shit is for you." Um, mm. So it's I think it shows a lot of growth on Quinn's part too, to where maybe it is because he's checked out or or, or you know full on PTSD mode right now. But he you know he he doesn't give any pushback to this. Mm. Yeah, I think that Quint's Quint's lack of reaction is kind of well it is very indicative of how he is feeling at this at this moment in time like he's I don't know if he's just tired or if he's just kind of worn down like battle worn really if we go you know that we've talked a lot about the comparisons between like what is happening now and what is happening uh, or what happened at um, Indianapolis and it's like you know, we had that whole thing with the with the life jacket. So if we're sort of thinking of of what's happening now as the bit when they were they had their life jackets on and they were waiting to be rescued, the uh, Indianapolis and the the threat was very much still there. And that's kind of what we get at the end of this scene is is Quint knowing and acknowledging that the threat is still there. I think Quint is just like he's just not. I don't really know how best to describe it. Like, I don't know if you even know if checked out is is right because I think he is the fact that he is so alert at the end of the scene and like looking, he practically gives himself whiplash how quickly he looks like from the cage to the sea. Like there's not a there's not a moment to kind of mourn Hooper or reflect on that at, at all, and it's brief. But Brody does take that moment. The the cage sort of drops drops back down and he turns away and just sort of like takes a moment to. I don't know, collect himself or just express kind of like a very brief <laughs> moment of, you know, acknowledging what has happened, whereas Quint is straight back to to focusing on the shark. But yeah, this, you know, not giving any pushback to, to Brody, kind of essentially bossing him around, I think is just okay. is just showing, you know, how tired Quint is. <laughs> and having been through a very traumatic event previously, maybe it is just like this is actually just too much now um and it is sort of bearing down on him but a quick thing about Brody as well and I'm gonna have to when I watch or when we watch the film in full for our sort of finale wrap-up episode I want to check this like we've spoken about the sort of the development of of Brody and how like when he gets on the boat he's almost like a child you know he's learning how to tie a knot and then he sort of goes through this like stroppy teenage adolescent phase when he just doesn't want to do as he's told i wonder if like the change to 
or the transition to sort of Brody being like back in cop mode, fully grown, fully developed, as it were, if that happens, the bit where he straps his gun belt on, I don't know. I need to go. I want to. <laughs> that's something that I want to go back and check because if that is the case, then I really like that. I like that it's like right. I've got the gun. I am Brody, chief of police again. Yeah. No, I think yeah, <laughs> I, I think you're definitely right about that. Like that's when he gets the most confident. And also, if you notice, he's not wearing his life jacket. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was offered as well. Like you know, mm-hmm. Quint threw them both a, a life jacket and you know the first the very first shot we see of Brody on the orca when he's chumming at the back he's got <laughs> you know he's got that life jacket on and his yeah. sun cream on his nose and looking very you know scared and unsure of himself and he's leaning quite far over mm-hmm. the <laughs> over the side as well when he is focusing on on getting the cage up so this is absolutely not the same Brody that we saw we saw earlier in the film and the same with Quint as well these are two very different characters at this point in time well and especially if you consider how close to the shark he would actually be in that moment like obviously because it's a combination of real shark footage and then just like whatever they filmed off the orca the continuity isn't totally correct but Mm. him leaning over like messing with that rope is basically directly above that shark caught in the bridle of the of yeah. the the cage rolling around um and yes like obviously the like i said the the shark not physically being there when shider is doing that is not something you think about until you watch the movie like this or until you've <laughs> seen the movie a million times so mm-hmm. you know in the fiction of the movie the shark is right in front of his face and he's not you know backing away terrified with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth like he's he's holding his ground and like fighting this thing with every ounce of strength he can Mm. yeah and even though the you know like you said the continuity is slightly off and the shot is meant to be right there and obviously we don't we don't see it um our sort of symbol warning of the shark's presence is there in the color because the the rope that he has that he's using to kind of pull up the cage is Mm -hmm. yellow Mm -hmm. um i was like (laughs) it's been a while i feel like since i mean we we flag it okay we flagged it a lot in the beginning just because of like how much yellow there was in the film um but it's it's still very much present but i i like that particularly in this shot when it's like we know the shark is meant to be there that we're being told that kind of with that color that we've seen sort of run throughout the film as you know the shark is about to attack the shark is nearby sort of thing it it really works yeah it's great and since we're um kind of going out of order with this scene uh i want to talk about the very final shot with quint Mm -hmm. um i've never noticed this before but when he like looks out and squints at the at the 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 ocean facing the back of the boat the cage drops back in the water and mm-hmm. it's just it's it, it just feels like the all is lost moment like they did all this work and hooper's not in the cage he's dead as far as we know or as far as you know quentin hooper or quentin brody now and it, brody like turns his back to the camera and looks defeated and then as Quint is realizing that the shark is barreling towards the back of the boat, the cage drops back in the water. And it's just like, it's a great visual cue of like, this is it. 
you know, this is this mm-hmm. is this is the beginning of the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that the reactions for from Quint in that moment are so quick as well. Like I said, you know, he he doesn't take the the t- the time to sort of like turn away like like Brody does. He he isn't thinking cage empty equals Hooper dead like Brody is. He's like cage empty equals shark has not been killed. <laughs> so the shark is still out there. It's just very interesting to see those different reactions and I like that Brody sort of stays in the shot as well. So we see Brody in the back sort of reflecting more on what has happened to to Hooper while Quint's attentions go to go straight back to the shark and kind of significant looking forward as well because Brody with his back turned you'd think you know the shark is about to spring up on the boat and catch Brody unawares whereas Quint is the one like looking out for it like surely he can be prepared but yeah it's the one you know Quint is the one who who gets killed by the shark so that's an interesting thing to to think about as well and I I love that final shot of of Quint I've got it paused on my screen right now I just think that I do too (laughs) yeah you can read so much just in just in that final look it's the I mean I, I can't emphasize this enough it's so quick the way he turns away like instantly from the cage then like looking out to out to sea and you just start to get a little bit of the score creeping back in back in as well um we've talked a lot in previous episodes about the you know the score and how it is used with the shark and with quint are quite similar so we really even at this late stage in the film where you know quint's death is imminent we really have this feeling of these these two particularly quint and the shark being sort of like tied together or linked in some way you know they ignoring all the deaths that happen in the first half of the film in this back half of the film like they are the two that die the shark dies and Mm -hmm. quint dies so that creating this sense of connection between them as well, I think is is really important for what comes next. Yeah, and I think um, Shaw does this really great little like eye twitch, like he just squints his eyes ever mm. so slightly, and it's it's so good. It's such a like such a, a subtle but effective way to communicate like how his focus has shifted and how like not and also how laser focused he is on this thing like he is he is clocking this thing from an unknown distance away to us but he sees it and he knows it's there and it's it's sort of like goes back to the predator noticing its prey mm-hmm. yeah and it's i wonder if you know at this point we're always saying about sort of quint being a bit checked out at this point where whether he knows or he just is kind of resigned to the fact that this is going to be his fate now so he's like i'm not gonna turn my back on this thing that's gonna that's gonna kill me i'm gonna sort of stare it right in the face while it like when it takes me sort of thing that's yeah yeah i mean i think we mentioned it or i mentioned it it's sort of the cowboy thing of the cowboy dying Mm. with his boots on yeah uh also the tooth is gone Oh yeah, I noticed it in the bit that like his one line when he's sort of because it's looking down on him mm-hmm. and you can see that the tooth isn't there like really clearly in that. Yeah, <laughs> there's that, and then when he's winching up the 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 um, cage, he's like gritting his teeth and the the tooth is missing from the front again. Mm. I can't remember now at what point he took it out. <laughs> he took it. Didn't he take it out? 
uh, when he was standing on the pulpit? Yeah, I think so. He's standing on the pulpit with the harpoon gun, and he takes it out and puts it in his pocket next to his little lemboss bread. Yeah, because that's when the boat is kind of, like, shaken around, and I think that's when we were like, mm-hmm. that's the ocean's tooth now. Because <laughs> yeah. there's no way that's staying in his pocket. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, the tooth yeah. of the ocean. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> it all makes sense now. See, yeah. our episode titles are not insane. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Um, nope. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you want to talk about the real shark footage? Yes. Before we do that, <laughs> I just want to talk about how great the sound design is mm-hmm. in this scene. Uh, I was I was thinking this was going to be the very first thing you were going <laughs> to you were going to mention, MJ. Um, but there is you just really get well. I really get the sense that you know of the orca just falling apart by this stage mm-hmm. and you get the the creaking and i don't know it just makes some really weird noises and there's some really great kind of loud bursts as well you know, like the sound of the winch is really loud you get that great bit when the um whatever is holding on to to the cage i don't know boat terms but it's sort of like breaking and snapping away and it does like a really satisfying kind of like three step like a literal like crash bang wallop noise that it uh-huh. makes it like hits one thing hits another thing falls down next to Brody. it's just very very satisfying um <laughs> and just a really great use of sound in this scene because you don't get a whole lot of score you get it a bit at the beginning and then a tiny tiny bit at the end but it's creating that sense of chaos and and drama and franticness like through the sound which i thought was really effective <clears throat> yeah, and then it, the sound married with the images too. Like, there's a really great kind of blink and you'll miss it shot of the waterlogged orca with wood floating on top of the 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 water that's in the orca. Oh, I love that shot. <clears throat> I love that shot so much. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like it's this really great quick visual thing that like it gives you a ton of information at once, right? Once, right? Like we know mm-hmm. we know that. Brody and Quint are trying to pull up the shark cage. So we know that's happening from the dialogue. And we know that from looking at it previously. And now we get this shot of the wood floating on top of the water while Brody is still frantically instructing Quint, like, hey, winch it up, winch it up. And that visually lets us know, like, yes, it's in, it's like a dire situation under the water with Hooper, but it's not going great up top either. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's. I am such a big fan of those, like, just uh, just a hair below the waterline kind of shots, um, and I think that it's there's a really really great transition which I, I only picked up on this time where there's a shot looking at the back of the orca and you're seeing it start to tilt and it's the camera is kind of like just a tiny little bit below the water so you've got like the water lapping over it but mm-hmm. you're not fully submerged or or fully out of the water and then it cuts to the camera in like the exact same position but it's inside the orca and that's when you get the kind of the debris and the the bits of wood like going over to the side so it's telling us there that the the boat is tilting and that it's you know the the weight of the shark like pulling the cage down as well it's just it's a really great transition i really enjoy that shot a lot and i was like it's literally just some bits of wood the camera's slightly underwater but i really enjoy this <laughs> yeah well and i really like when the 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 
the the beam that's holding the winching unit um, falls next to Brody. It's clearly mm-hmm. much more staged, I think, than the 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 yellow barrel. Um, <laughs> but it's a really good like callback of like, hey, when stuff flies around on a boat, it's still dangerous. And I like that it's Brody both times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think if if uh, past Brody could go back and bring one item onto the orca with him, it would be a crash helmet. <laughs> <laughs> Because yep. uh, he, his poor little head is in peril for most of this film. I feel yeah. he gets the little, uh, the little cut on the head. He gets a barrel swinging past his head. He gets this thing falling like next to his face. Yep. Yeah. Do you have your <laughs> your your rubber boots and your zinc oxide and your your helmet? And your courage. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it would have saved a lot of uh, a lot of headache, uh, literally. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, let's, I know you're dying to talk real shark footage, so I'll, uh, I'll let you go first, but let's, uh, dive into ha. this incredible shark footage, as it were. Yeah, so we've hinted at this in the past, uh, couple episodes. This footage is, one, a real shark, uh, taking out a real shark cage, and it was filmed by Ron and Valerie Taylor, who filmed all the real shark footage for the film, um, and... It also, this, this, particularly this footage altered the script of the film. So originally Hooper dies in the cage, like the shark gets in and eats him in the cage. In this, because they have the footage of the empty cage and the shark pulling it off the boat, they altered the script because it wouldn't make sense for there to be like no blood basically or no bits of Hooper uh, floating around. Um, so they had it to where he escaped and then the shark takes out the cage. Uh, so the real guy almost super died uh, <laughs> getting this footage. <laughs> And the only thing that saved him was a panic attack, basically. <laughs> the one time ever a panic attack saved someone's life. So uh, Carl Rizzo, who we've mentioned in a couple episodes, who uh, it, it was the, 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 the stunt hooper for the real shark footage, um, didn't know that he was going to be like, I don't think it hit him until he got there on the day. Like, oh, <laughs> great white sharks and me in the water. <laughs> so he gets in the water and he freaks out and he they pull him back on the boat and then the shark attacks the cage and it just like they just lucked out that way um mm-hmm. and so thankfully carl was not in the cage and he was able to be pulled to safety by the captain of uh the boat that they were filming off of this is all documented and i think probably a lot of the making of jaws stuff but in mm. particular uh this is not necessarily a making of jaws documentary though it plays into it there is a documentary about ron and valerie taylor more focused on valerie since she's still alive um that came out in 2021 uh for national geographic it's available on disney plus here in the states is it also on disney plus in the uk yeah okay yeah i watched it on there um called playing with sharks and the the it's a comprehensive look at their career so it starts as like them as fish as uh, as spear fishers um up through their conservation efforts 
Jaws, and then post-Jaws kind of doing damage control over the sort of bad reputation Sharks received as a result of the film. Um, it's a wonderful documentary. Uh, we were both mm-hmm. kind of obsessing about it off mic, and I think we do want to cover it at some point. But I think for the purposes of the episode, we're going to focus purely on the Jaws stuff. Um, I've never seen, or at least remembered seeing the raw footage of this. So one, this is shot on 16 millimeter footage or 16 millimeter film and blown up to 35 and it looks great. Uh, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So good job there. Whoever had to restore that. I'm sure that was a pain. (laughs) Um, uh, (laughs) And it it just, I mean, it, it just so happens that that's what, they caught on camera and uh, mm. they were just, you know, right place, right time or wrong place, wrong time. If you're Carl Rizzo. Uh, <laughs> and I'd never seen that footage before. And it is wild because um, to get the scale of the shark. So the, the, the shark, you know, is supposed to be 25 feet long, but the sharks they were filming with were like what? 14 to 16 or something. Uh, yeah. I think they said that specifically that one was like 13 14 yeah. foot maybe but yeah. yeah which is still not 25 a big ass <laughs> shark like think of something yeah. 13 feet long that's like two people um two <laughs> that's two nba players stacked on top of each other mm-hmm. um <laughs> and uh so to do that they did a force perspective thing and they used a smaller cage and a smaller actor carl rizzo wasn't like a particularly tall person um but they also, to get the bottom of the boat, used the smallest boat I've ever seen. <laughs> it's so small. <laughs> it's it's such a small boat. And it was called the Skippy. Like, that is not an intimidating sharking boat name. Like, it is... <laughs> I did not realize how small that boat was until I saw that footage. And then you see this thing just, like... It literally does what it does in, in the movie. And it rips the mm-hmm. the winch off of the um, the boat. And it it is scary. It is so... It, it was so anxiety-inducing <laughs> to, mm-hmm. uh, to watch that footage. And, like... I don't, you know, we've talked about it. I'm not afraid of the ocean. I'm not really afraid of sharks. You know, if I had proper diving training and was probably in better shape, I would absolutely go on a shark dive, you know, uh, in a cage if it were great whites, if it were not a cage, if it were like bull sharks or nurse sharks or whatever. Like, I would totally do that. That was Mm -hmm. still so scary to watch. Like, Mm -hmm. even, even, (laughs) even though they were interviewing the people who were there, so we know they're all fine. It was so scary. Mm, I think it it just adds a whole extra layer to to the film and the sort of the the danger of the situation that that the characters are in as well. And obviously, you know, the the actors and the crew were not in contact with the real sharks, but. I think particularly watching this documentary and seeing that there was this team that were, you know, really up close and personal with with the with the sharks and getting that amazing footage. I I mean this is one of my favorite sequences in the whole film because of how amazing that footage is and I think the way they blend it with the 
with the not real shark as well is so good and yeah. so well done <clears throat> but yeah the it's something about seeing the different angle of that shark like rolling around on top of the cage and i think i've seen that because uh, you mentioned uh we were messaging about it and you mentioned the sort of like you hadn't seen the the shot from like above the shark mm-hmm. before and <clears throat> i have i just have a feeling it's in one of the many making of <laughs> jaws yeah. documentaries that i've watched or i've seen the clip or something because i was like oh yeah i i feel like i have seen this bit before but even so i think with how tiny little little skippy is next yeah. to it and that shark's tail is like thrashing like across the boat and in a weird kind of you know parallel with the film the the driver of the <clears> boat <throat> and carl rizzo are kind of like over onto the left hand side of the boat like Brody and, and quint are on the <laughs> on the orca uh, sort of, you know, trying to like keep away from this shark that's like thrashing around on the on the back of the boat. But I, I just I, there's so many things about this that that are incredible to me, and I, I'm looking forward to getting into this documentary properly at some point in the future. We will yeah. do that because I think that there's so much to talk about in terms of of Ron and Valerie Taylor's legacy and the conservation and stuff like that, and the good and bad things that came out of Jaws. So I think that's a longer discussion that we'll we'll have at another time. But in terms of what this footage did and how it changed the film, I think is just incredible. That, you know, because you could have had a director turn around and be like, that's not the footage I want. Like, go out and do it again. Mm-hmm. Like, imagine if this was William Friedkin or something yeah. directing it. I mean, one, he probably would have been down there with the shark himself. Yeah, he would have, yeah, uh, he would have been right there with the camera. <laughs> it's like, I've got a family or ch- or kids, I don't care, put me in there. Um, <clears throat> but, he, you know, the directors that are sort of like notorious, you know, like perfectionists, like we have to mm. get this shot exactly right. And the only ending for this film is Hooper dying and that's it, except no other option or whatever. Mm. Whereas Spielberg, I mean, this is his, you know, he's in the early stages of his career. He looks at that footage and goes, that footage is so incredible with that shark. Like, what are you, you could never set that up. You could never make that situation happen because it could potentially hurt the shark. The shark was fine. So great. But you wouldn't ever set that situation up to happen with a real shark because that shark could get killed and you don't want to risk that happening. But he looks at that footage and goes, this is so great, once in a lifetime, never going to get that kind of shot again. I'm going to change my entire film ending to to work around that footage. Like, incredible. I think that's only really just hitting me and it was watching watching the documentary and... I watched the making of Jaws recently as well, or or at least the bit where they talk about they talk about this, because um, they go a little bit more into the setup with Carl Rizzo and everything, mm-hmm. and and like the fact that the tank that he had was smaller as well because he is smaller, and it's like that's classic seventies, not really caring too much about the welfare of of, of the people <laughs> in the film because it's like little guy little tank put him in a cage with a shark what can go wrong yeah uh thank goodness he had a panic attack honestly it gives hope to us all yeah uh, right? that one day it will be good for something <laughs> well and like the, the 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 captain of the skippy is talking about how like he was like so 
when I have the oxygen, do I still have to breathe or is it just going to push it into my lungs? And he was like, oh, no. <laughs> this guy doesn't know how to die. Oh, <laughs> <clears throat> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, he, like I, I picture him just being like laughing like uh, like Hooper and being like, you're going to die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man. Yeah, how close that poor man came to to meeting his end. I mean, yeah. if he'd have still been <clears throat> in that cage with that shark thrashing around like that, I mean, if the shark d- didn't kill him, then the shark would have done. So Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, also, I want to mention the captain of the Skippy uh, is the guy who got attacked by a shark. Like, is it's the guy who needed... <laughs> They say they talk about it early in the movie. He needed he got bit by a shark and had 485 stitches across his chest and back and also had all but one of his uh tendons in his hand severed um and had to be stitched back together for his hand to work again <laughs> before they shot this. So mm-hmm. this is I mean tr- a true mad lad behavior. Where, like, this guy got attacked by a shark and was like, when do I get to go back in the water? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and was it, am I right that it was it was Ron Taylor who was filming the stuff underwater, yeah. not in a cage? Yes. I mean, <laughs> I love that shot so much. I think we talked about it maybe last week when the shark, like, yeah, it was last week's so we said about it. He gives, like, a wink to camera kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um but also just, I don't know, then just watching this documentary and being like, oh no, there was a... Particularly when this like really dangerous thing happens with the shark on top of the cage, you're like, oh, there's a guy like down there like filming this footage as well. Like the footage that we see in the film, there is someone down there not in a cage who is very, very experienced. Like, don't get me wrong, you wouldn't just have an inexperienced person go in the water with a great white and, you know, without the proper equipment or training and everything else, which they obviously had they were the best at what at what they did then yeah. but <clears throat> that element of danger i think in this scene just adds so much more tension to to the film as a whole but particularly to this to this scene and i i just i i you know i don't want to take this away from from Ron and Valerie Taylor who obviously did the work and got the shot but i'm just very impressed that Spielberg made the decision to make such a huge alteration because that's not yeah. minor that's yeah. one of your main characters fate that you're changing <clears throat> because of this footage <laughs> yeah and it it's funny because like this is obviously probably some of the most complicated stuff in the movie just because you're dealing with not just a live animal but like not a not a i don't want to say dangerous in the way like um like a bear can be dangerous. Like a bear will attack you, um, mm-hmm. but like if it does attack you, it's not good. It's not like it'll it'll probably leave you alone. But if it doesn't, that's lights out. <laughs> um, so <laughs> this is the you know this footage is is really hard to get, and it's some of the stuff they shot first. Like I think it shows. Obviously, he's willing to adjust on the fly, but it also shows how meticulous of a filmmaker Spielberg actually is. Um, mm-hmm. To be like, okay, this is going to be the hardest stuff to get. Let's, you know, and we're outsourcing it. So let's give them as much lead time as possible to get this footage mm-hmm. to us. 
Um, so, you know, they basically started filming this stuff at the beginning of the shoot of Jaws in Australia. Yeah, I mean, I, that is smart because then it it isn't like, you, oh, you then have to make a, a real quick change towards the end, uh, you know, haphazard, like, let's redo this thing. If they had that footage and, and that sort of determined how the rest of the film was going to shake out, then obviously, like, you can make you can make those adjustments but i think the the willingness to go with sort of what you know what it was given with that footage and and recognizing how great it was and and making that change accordingly is yeah it's so smart <laughs> the film is better because of it mm-hmm. because I mean, some of the points we were making earlier about how poetic it is that, you know, it's Quint and the shark that die. If it was Quint and the shark and Hooper that died, I feel like, I don't know, it's, there's just something about the, you know, all the things that went wrong in the filming of Jaws, as well as all the things that went right in terms of this, you know, great footage that they sort of accidentally got because this, you know, guy had a panic attack, is all of those things put together make for a better movie. The fact that the shark didn't work and they had to, you know, rely on other things to create the tension and barely seeing the shark at all. All of those things make the film better. So I am weirdly like fascinated with this kind of thing where it's like imagining what the film would look like in a different kind of, <laughs> and under a different guise or if, yeah. or, you know, if the shark had been working all the time, if they'd have, had more of the shark in or if they hadn't have got this great footage and Hooper had died and it just changes so much of the film that I love that it's like an interesting thing to think about but also I'm just infinitely grateful that it turned out the way that it did (laughs) yeah I I think too because Hooper is so much different than he is from the book because Hooper sucks in the book um yeah I was glad he died in the book yes (laughs) he's a real piece of shit in the book but yeah i was like i'm not mad at this <laughs> he's really easy to root for here and it's not that we don't end up not liking quinn and he's not not charismatic like even when he's being mm. as problematic as he is at the beginning in the of the first or second half of the film he's still like super easy to watch um he's mm. very charming <laughs> but he has a much more adversarial relationship with this beast than hooper does mm. like hooper is in love with these things and so mm-hmm. it would be i think it would be like so cynical to have this guy who has done nothing but dedicate his life to like the 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 research and documentation of this creature to just get like taken out in cold blood uh by it Mm, yeah it completely changes the (laughs) it completely changes the the film for me just if that did happen and i think go ahead sorry yeah, just with everything that we're that we're set up with with Hooper, like you said, you know this, you know he's he's the youngest, he's very passionate, he's very excitable, you know he clearly knows a great deal about about these sharks, and like yes, you know he he makes some mistakes, and you could argue sort of you know dropping the dropping the dart and not you know being able to sort of make the make the final kill that was a mistake there, but I just it would be such a different ending if only Brody survived. And you wouldn't you wouldn't get that great kind of quite light ending as well. Obviously you have the joy of when Brody, you know, finally finally succeeds, but then that sort of like little button on the end of, of him and Hooper paddling back to shore is just such a great moment and losing that I feel like 
I mean, I my heart is thinking of Brody because I'm like, mm-hmm. how traumatized would that man be if like he's the only one to you know he then becomes Quint, right? If, yeah. <laughs> if he's the only one to survive this to survive this thing, but the fact that that Hooper survives as well, I think it means the future Brody, which we do see in Jules too, but is more, uh, is better equipped to be able to sort of handle this, this trauma not being like the only one left because the trauma that he's experienced plus then having survivors kill survivors guilt. I'd, I, I, I would worry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think too, I think this is what separates the movie from these other like cynical, bitter, hard nosed 1970s gritty crime movies. Right. Like obviously Mm -hmm. Jaws isn't a crime movie, but you know, that was the, the predominant, I mean, look at taxi driver, French connection, you know, stuff like that. Death wish. um, Conversation. (laughs) Yeah. uh, You know, anything starring Robert Redford or Gene Hackman. Um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Gritty AF. Yeah. And I think that this, like, coming out kind of in the middle of all that, you know, even The Godfather is, like, not a happy movie, you know? Um, mm. it, it It's sort of this breath of fresh air, right? And I think that mm-hmm. Hooper living is what adds to that. Like, otherwise, it's a very lonely, dark, cold ending for Brody. But here, mm-hmm. like, it, it, like, it changes the... I, I almost think that, you know... And it's hard to prove this otherwise, because, you know, maybe this is how it is in Andrew Garfield's universe, where Hooper dies and so does Quint. But here, um, it's that uh, this light tone. So it's hard to prove, like, would the movie have even been as successful if it would have been as, like, almost isolated feeling mm-hmm. as... as, mm-hmm. as uh, as those other movies. I, I think a great example is Alien. Like, Alien has a very isolation-fueled ending. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's... It's gonna sound like a hot take, but it's not. It's basically the same as Jaws. Um, <laughs> it's basically the same movie. Uh, like, nuts and bolts, bare bones, it's, it's the same movie. Um, which is a slasher movie. And... Uh, but that does have everyone but Ripley and the cat die. Um, mm-hmm. And it's pretty cynical. And that movie's incredible. I love that movie. It's my favorite Ridley Scott movie. But I think with that plus Jaws at the same time, I don't know. Like, I, I almost feel like they would cancel each other out if they had the same ending. Like, it's just like, oh, yeah, you know, by the time... What year does Alien come out? 79. By the time Alien comes out, people would really be like, oh, it's got the same end as Jaws. Mm. And, like, Mm -hmm. it could actively make one or both of those things worse um, in the eyes of moviegoers at the time. But because this is a hopeful story about, you know, man versus nature and overcoming... Ultimately overcoming your anxiety... um, it gave people hope and alien was like the bitter hard no cynical version so now they both can exist and serve two different functions even though they're essentially like the same kind of movie hmm. that's an interesting thing to think about actually because i mean it's i i haven't got started yet but i am about to write an absolutely mammoth uh article about like the 95 best films of the 70s oh. um which is basically my dream assignment because yeah. it's my favorite decade for film um but in sort of like putting together my shortlist 
uh, it was a very long list to start with that then became shorter but it was there's so many of these uh you know gritty crime dramas i mean roy scheider was in you know a number of them yeah. he was in clute he was in french connection marathon man uh marathon man even sorcerer has like a bleak ending oh, yeah, it's a, yeah. a very bleak ending in fact so uh, you know jaws and, and jaws being like 75 as well convenient because this is our 75th episode hey. it's like right <laughs> i was like i'm gonna get this in somehow is <laughs> you know it's right slap bang in the middle of 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 that decade and it just it feels so different to so many other films that that came out during the 70s and that's not to say you know there's a bunch of very light-hearted 70s comedies right. and other things but it just when i think of 70s films i think about these kind of very gritty quite bleak uh neo-noirs like suspense films you got you know chinatown and there's a lot of kind of political stuff as well with all the president's men and the parallax view and just like a lot of kind of those similar things and jaws feels so different to that so i'm really looking forward to actually writing that piece because i mean i have any opportunity to write about jaws but i'll be interested to find out like just how much of a palate cleanser it feels like once i've really really got stuck in to to that decade and the other films that that came out around that time but yeah even like i just (laughs) mind kind of blown by like how many of those kind of type of films roy scheider is in in the 70s and then you've got jaws in the middle of that (laughs) well and and you know there's i think it's all fueled by vietnam we've talked about that and so there's a Mm -hmm. massive distrust of the government and political powers and things like that also watergate obviously happens Mm -hmm. during this time as well and Spielberg still gets that in this movie, right? Like Mayor Vaughn, yeah. like it's, it's still pretty cynical when it comes to like distrust of like systems of power. But mm-hmm. the the ultimate thing it comes up like the, the ultimate hope is that we can overcome through the power, like through the power of the people. And the those other movies are like we are helpless to these systems. Mm. Yeah. I mean, Jaws is perfect. We've said this so many times, but like the fact that it does have all of those things and it does have that commentary about things that that were happening at the time and it's about America and it's about so many different things, but yet is also entertaining, thrilling, scary, suspenseful, exciting, all of those things. It feels without this sounding like really cheesy it really does just feel like it encompasses like everything that that made that decade so great for for film particularly because it does tick so many boxes it's like why so many people love jaws because it does have that mass you know hollywood summer blockbuster appeal for people who just want to have a good time and have an exciting and fun film to watch but also when you're going into it not even in the you know insane level of detail that we are, but you know other people have have written about it and dissected it and and picked out the themes and the things that it is saying, and it's you can get that from it as well. And it's just it's it's interesting to think about Jaws. I think in the in the context of the the rest of that decade, I think that will uh, maybe possibly be something that we that we look at in future post Jaws. Yeah. We've got big plans of stuff that we're going to do all will be revealed uh at some point um 
but looking at the film in that sort of broader context i think is I mean, we sort of we we have done it in the in the sort of the way that we've we've picked out the things that that Jules is saying, but is a is a super interesting thing to explore. I think. Yeah, and I think you know it 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 it, it colors Spielberg's career forever, right? Obviously, like this is mm-hmm. one of his best movies, one of his most popular movies in a career that could it, almost any one of them could be picked out as one of his best movies and one of his career best movies. <laughs> but I I almost feel like this sets the tone for the rest of his career, like there aren't a lot of bummer Spielberg endings. And I think mm. that's why he gets the reputation he gets for being schmaltzy, even though it's not necessarily true. It's just that because he ends his movies on like hopeful notes, people think that way. Um, yeah. It, it, I mean, like we talked about this a couple weeks ago. He doesn't take on easy subject matter. A lot of the time, like color purple, empire of the sun, saving private Ryan, mm. Schindler's list, Munich. like yeah, Munich, <laughs> Um, you know, none of those are easy subjects to tackle for any filmmaker. And it's not that he does that. Like, it's not like he puts, uh, you know, these rose colored glasses on them. Like, look at, you know, look at the opening invasion of Normandy sequence and saving private Ryan. Like, yeah, is it wonderful? Technically? Yes. But is it an exciting action scene? Not really. It's not like a, you know, it's not like a scene from a John Wick movie. Like it shows the you know, as close as you can get to, like, reenacting the real horrors of what these men mm-hmm. saw on that beach that day. Like, it's not easy to watch that opening sequence, even though it's, like, very, in big quotes, entertainingly filmed. Like, it is shot like an action sequence and has a lot of, like, moving parts that an action sequence would have. But the tone of it is not to be entertaining. <laughs> Um, mm. And so, but that movie ends pretty hopefully. Like, it, it ends sad, you know, with with Private Ryan looking back on his life and and you know reflecting about Tom Hanks's character, but it, it still ends with like, well, that guy made a sacrifice that saved this other life, so it was worth it. Like, it was still hopeful. Mm. Yeah, I think this idea that Spielberg like <laughs> only makes like schmaltzy films that or that there is that element in his films is i mean i'll say it i think it's wrong yeah, <laughs> because yeah, it it's is. not <laughs> it's not the only thing there you know there is about his films it's not his only trademark it's not it, there isn't the sort of you know predictable like oh of course this is going to be like yeah. schmaltzy and, and saccharin because that's what spielberg does because it, it just isn't true but i don't <laughs> I don't think I would call the ending of Jaws schmaltzy at all. I think it's just hopeful. And I think that, I don't know, when people see something, you know, things end happily enough times in a row, they just go, oh, that's the thing that that director always does. But without actually thinking about, thinking about it in the context of the, of the rest of the film and Jaws ending, hopefully, and ending in the way that it does and not with, Brody as the only survivor, kind of you know, yeah. sort of paddling slowly back to shore or whatever. I think is the is the right ending, and it's you know, as we said, great that that came about because of this incredible <laughs> incredible shark footage, for which we are forever grateful. Uh, but also just what it means for that character, what it means for this town, Amity being able to rebuild mm-hmm. and and move forward and unfortunately they do not learn their lessons as we discover in yeah. in Jaws 2 and 
everything else that comes after but it at least you know if this had been the last Jaws film and I kind of wish it had um, then ending it on that note leaves things sort of open you know Hooper has now got this (laughs) incredible first hand up close experience with a shark like he's never had before he's learnt things from from Quint he has grown and improved as a person he isn't that same kind of like cocky little guy who arrived on on the island to start with he is by sort of being with with Quint and and learning from him has has changed his perspective a little bit um but also just that knowledge gained like the things that he could do with that on his next research trip and you know if they were dealing with a shark that was acting in you know this strange way be like well I've been there done that and got the t-shirt for it so it's and and Brody as well like overcoming what he overcomes in in the film to be a a better and stronger person for his family for the town that he serves like it's you can get all of that like from that ending I mean I know we're (laughs) jumping right ahead to the end of the film and we will talk about it more when we get there but I I love the the ending of Jaws so much and I'm, I'm glad that that's the ending that we get I just I mean not just for the fact that film Hooper is so much better than book Hooper yeah. um, but just it ends the film with that kind of good feeling like you're still processing everything that's happened and it's not like way everything is fine everything's look how happy everyone is now but it does you know they make it back alive <laughs> what happens next we don't know that's open to our speculation or Jaws 2. But the the good thing is that they make it make it out of that situation. Yeah. And the reason we're talking so much about the end of the film specifically is because this scene is intrinsic to the end of the film we got. Um, it yeah. is... Th- <laughs> yeah. This footage is the exact reason why the movie ends the way it does. Like, they are they are inextricably linked. Also, it's... It's, mm-hmm. it's what? Uh, seven minutes away now. So it's not that far off. Um, seven yeah. <laughs> so close to the end yeah. and like two minutes of that is credits yeah <laughs> uh, actually less than that I feel like the credits are like a minute and a half it's not long at all <laughs> yeah yeah it's not a long credits uh, mm. sequence um, but yeah uh, watch Playing With Sharks if you if you haven't or even if you have it's really really good documentary and it like mm-hmm. it's um it's upsetting um it's it's you know uh the world of of uh you know uh, shark conservation is not an easy one um and so there's Mm -hmm. some there's some like pretty upsetting stuff in the movie so be be warned about that but it's also i think it's very necessary and important and i think it'll i think because you know with this little jaws community we've we've curated on the social medias and and through this show i think one of the things that brought us all to this movie is that we do love sharks Mm -hmm. and um so if anything i would say it's it's almost more important to watch that because you love sharks and it'll make you want to do something um however small Mm -hmm. uh to to kind of help out with that cause because you know and they talk about the aftermath of Jaws, and we'll talk about that when we talk about the film proper and, like, how Jaws gave sharks a bad name and empowered a lot of people to kill a lot of sharks. But I think... And I think we talked about this with Jack. Like, 
there's an entire generation, a couple generations at this point, who grew up watching Jaws and they love sharks because of it. And now they want to do something to reverse the damage that was initially done by the film. Because the film isn't mm-hmm. responsible for the actions of, you know, a bunch of dipshits. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, to, 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 to reverse that. So I think Jaws in, the, in the, the marine biology community has, like, almost had this reverse reversal of its reputation where it started off as, like, oh, it really kind of hurt the ecosystem. But now people want to heal those same ecosystems because of this movie. And I think that's great. And I, I like, mm. I'm very on board with it. Uh, if you're not, you're a bad person. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know how else to say that. Uh, and uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, rethink your position on that if you if you think that way. Also, why have you been listening to this show? Um, but also, like, yeah, I, I think that, that the film uh, playing with sharks will like make you want to do something. Uh, proactive about saving the shark population um there's like there's a stat that they give out that there's only like 10 percent of the sharks in the world left and that really bummed me mm-hmm. out <laughs> yeah yeah it's there's i can't remember what bit in the film it is or what sharks they are but like when they're when they're filming and there's like a whole bunch of of sharks around them mm-hmm. and it's like this you know this was what it was like in the ocean, you know, however many hundreds of years ago, like there were sharks everywhere. And now that population is just dwindling. And it was like, yeah, it was (laughs) some of those stats were a real gut punch for me. And I was just like, Oh, why as humans do we suck? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Also don't buy shark stuff. Uh, Mm. I think also, um, yeah. Yeah. No shark fin soup. Yeah. No teeth. Yeah. If they're acquired, uh, through, not legal means. <laughs> yeah, I think teeth are okay. Um, for the most part, sometimes they just wash up. So yeah, yeah, shark lose teeth all the time. Um, mm-hmm. I, was, I, I think so. I was watching this video uh, about this is some shark some shark science I learned. It, there's this fish scientist who streams on Twitch about marine biology. I think I don't remember his name. Um, it's a very specific uh, it's a very specific niche to fill on uh, that platform, <laughs> but I like it. Uh, but YouTube recommended this to me at like two in the morning, which is when you watch all the dumbest bullshit you possibly can on YouTube. <laughs> uh, it, and it was like uh, fish scientist reacts to evidence that megalodon still exists and i was like yeah i'm watching that and it was like a 25 minute video <laughs> and it, he watches it in this video he watches a youtube video that's like could megalodon still exist here's 15 like pieces of evidence that it might and uh th- it's the dumbest reasons it's awful like <laughs> this isn't the reason i'm getting to but one of the reasons is that oh, well, we don't really know everything that's in the Mariana Trench, so it could be down there. And it's like, well, Megalodon was a warm water, close to shore swimming shark. So the amount of adaptation and evolution that would have to have happened to Megalodon in order to withstand the pressure and the temperature and the lack of light down there would be the most rapid evolution ever documented. Like, there's no way it's living in the Mariana Trench. Um, But one of them was like, why are we still finding megalodon teeth like is they're a finite resource like they they've got to be you know close to running out unless there's new ones being produced and he was like 
Sharks grow new teeth every two weeks. Like, <laughs> there's plenty of Megalodon teeth still out there. Yeah, there's enough Megalodon teeth for everyone. Yeah, and he was, he was also like, uh, also, they're discolored in a way only fossils can be discolored. Like, because of, like, the oxidation process that happens to bone after it leaves the body and sits there for millions of years... <laughs> That's the only, like, the only, all the Megalodon teeth are the same color because they're that old. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, the, the, the video that this person is absolutely tearing apart, it sounds like the person who made that video was just, like, watched the Meg and was like, seems legit. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the, one of the other facts is, like, Look at this shark that washed up in Brazil or in South America somewhere. I think it was Brazil. And it's this giant shark. And the guy's like, uh, hey, check this out. It's a prop from Mythbusters. <laughs> and he found the episode. That is funny. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean... I would like to watch this video, <laughs> and I, I probably will do that. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you. It's pretty ridiculous. But anyway, so yes. if you're going to buy shark stuff, shark teeth are probably fine. End it there. Um, that was, that's the point. That's the point that I was trying to make. Like, shark teeth wash up all the time. Shark teeth, you know, every two weeks, like you said. So uh, yeah. for the most part, like, those are probably obtained in not aggressive and mean ways. Um, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah, but yeah, no, no, no shark fin soup. What the fuck are you doing, man? Like, you know, come on, don't be a weirdo. Uh, that's all I have. <laughs> don't be a weirdo. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, did you have anything else on, uh, either i guess the the documentary jaws adjacent or or this scene that we haven't covered yet um i don't think so um yeah uh i think oh i didn't realize carl rizzo was so small Mm-hmm. so it was yeah he real small yeah it was it was really funny like watching him in in that footage and being like oh he's he like they're, they like they did used really little props and like a really little actor. I didn't realize that. Uh, like I knew that they were like, yeah. oh, use a smaller actor, use a smaller cage. But I didn't realize how small that stuff was, which makes this shot even scarier. Like thinking about like Carl Rizzo mm-hmm. potentially being in there. Like there is not a lot of him. <laughs> no, and that cage is so tiny as well. Like the the cage is small. The boat is small. Like I. I was aware that, you know, that, that Carl Rizzo was, was a small guy, but I don't know, just seeing all of it together and (laughs) the way it plays out as well. And, and how giant that shark looks like thrashing around on top of the cage. I mean, they, 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 by, you know, luck really, or a, a lucky panic attack, they, they got that great shot and you, you really can see the scale Mm-hmm. of the shark and i'm not at any point thinking that's a tiny little cage because yeah. you just don't it's such a it's such a dramatic moment as well and actually i'd just like to add that i'm very glad that that shark was okay because mm-hmm. that does like cross your mind i think like especially when you know that that footage is 
is real you're like oh i hope that shark was all right but i mean even in the film you see it swimming away because i think yeah if they hadn't included that bit well you need to see it swimming away because the shark is still a threat in the film but also you wonder whether people would have been like was that shark all right yeah <laughs> like making sure that they hadn't done something dubious like while making the film but yeah. i mean it was the 70s anything was possible but <laughs> yeah for sure but I, yeah, I, I do think it is good to know that the, the shark was ultimately fine. Um, mm-hmm. But it was, mm-hmm. it was just kind of inconvenienced and annoyed. Um, <laughs> As you would be. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He's just, you know, <laughs> swimming around trying to have a good old time and is like, oh, now I'm, uh, now I'm trapped. Yeah. <laughs> you also see the shark's like tail come up on the skippy at one point and you're like, oh, that's a yeah. big ass shark. That is such a big fish. Um, and a tiny little boat. Yeah. <laughs> I can't get over the Skippy. I love the Skippy. <laughs> I think they said it's made of tin at one point, and I was like, what? What do you yeah, mean? So, sm- so small. <laughs> yeah, I could not believe the stuff that happens in it. Oh, and last thing I have on playing with sharks is uh, Valerie Taylor disproves something that Sarah said a couple episodes ago, which is that you can, in <laughs> fact, train a shark. <laughs> Yeah. What was it? I said, like, How to Train Your Shark is yeah. the animated franchise that we all need. <laughs> yeah. It was just really funny. I was watching it and, like, she's like, you can train a shark easier than you can train a dog. And I was like, Sarah just was like, you can't train a shark. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. She really uh, she, she really came for me in that way. Yeah. That's, uh, that's fine. And as I'm about to get a dog, I am slightly worried that the idea that a shark is easier to train than a dog. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't really affect my plans too much because i wasn't in the pet store like dog shark dog shark yeah, yeah. like what should i get yeah like mr mr burns with the... ketchup or catsup <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was like, i'm not now like oh no if i made the wrong choice i should have got the sh- i, I should have got the shark because they're easier to train but i'm like easier to train than a dog huh <laughs> ketchup catsup I watched that episode the other day and it makes me laugh so hard now. It's one of my now. favorite <laughs> Simpsons bits ever. Oh, it's so dumb. I love it. I think about that bit all the time. Like, I, 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 more than any other Simpsons moment, I think I think about that. It's just, I think it's the way he delivers it too. It's so like, he's really weighing his options. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was me choosing my, uh, <laughs> choosing my pet. Dog? Sure. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I think that this this training of a shark business, I think, uh, as we said off mic, I think only easy to train said shark if you are Valerie Taylor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was like, "You can train a shark easier than you can train a dog," and I was like, "No, you can train a shark easier than you can." Train. <laughs> Like, I am lacking in all of the necessary skills and expertise to do this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, I'll stick with my dog. <laughs> yep. uh, also, in that movie, very good Roy Scheider in lapels uh, footage. Oh, it did not disappoint. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you, you messaged me about it beforehand, and I was like, I'm so excited. And also, he's so funny in that bit mm-hmm. as well. Like, he cracks a little joke. Yeah. He's having a good time. Mm-hmm. He's wearing a great suit. I was like, this is brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Come for the sharks. Stay there's for the sharks. Um, yeah, <laughs> there's a um, a still in it as well, like a, a photo with like some of the some of the cast mm-hmm. and and Spielberg and Wish Ida is like is uh, shirtless in that scene as oh, well. Oh yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Good times all round for Shida content. <laughs> yep. uh, did you have anything else, Sarah? <laughs> I've got nothing. Okay. I'm just thinking of uh, the choosing between a shark and a dog <laughs> dilemma. Ketchup? That's, a... That's where I'm at. <laughs> the thing is, the thing about that Simpsons joke is every time I bring it up or think about it, that's the rest of my day. It's just going ketchup? Ketchup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stupid bit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> did you have anything to plug? Uh, possibly by the time this episode comes out. Um, I've been, as mentioned, have been doing some really just insanely long lists on Looper at the moment. So I don't know when these things will come out because I imagine they... Uh, probably quite time consuming to edit uh, as much as they are time consuming to write but by the time this episode comes out hopefully my 95 best suspense films will be out um i don't think i'll have written anything else that's really taken me quite a long time yeah. uh, to write that one up but a lot of hitchcock <clears throat> and jaws is in there also so oh, yeah. um yeah uh a lot of 70s films as well which has, has given me some good crossover with my 70s film list that I'm working on so I don't have to watch them twice but um, some great first time watches I discovered as well so I mentioned Rafifi a few mm-hmm. weeks ago but I watched The Conversation for the first time and what a film I haven't seen it the oh, the absolute audacity of Francis Ford Coppola to be like I'm just going to make this film between Godfather and Godfather Party yeah. like who gave him the right yeah. <laughs> it's so it's so good. The ending, I'm still thinking about. Wow. It's bleak. Hmm. But, oh, it's just, it's so good. I, yeah. <laughs> A hard recommend uh, for the conversation. Gene Hackman is great he in is everything. He is one of our finest actors to ever grace the screen. He's so good. Truly. He is incredible. And I watched... Uh, <laughs> slight hot button topic at the moment uh enemy of the state okay. with him and will smith yeah, yeah, yeah. and he's incredible in that as well <laughs> he is like <laughs> really good in that movie that movie has the dumbest final shootout i've ever seen <laughs> yeah real dumb but like he elevates that movie just by existing and being gene hackman yeah. and it's watching that like not long after watching the conversation and and other kind of 70s surveillance mm-hmm. thriller type things i was like oh yeah <laughs> It makes sense that he's in this film <laughs> and is the best thing about it. But yeah, yeah, that movie's pretty entertaining. <laughs> but uh, that final shootout is so so goofy looking. <laughs> it's so funny. That's like the only yeah, thing I really well truly remember about that movie. But I do remember liking it. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty good. Yeah. It's exactly what you would expect from that kind of film. Yeah. But it's a it's a fun time. Uh, for me, Real Perspective, uh, Cobra Kai episode is out. It took months, but it's out. Um, we're going to get better at releasing stuff for that. Our Book of Boba Fett episode should also be out. We have a guest for that. Uh, did you watch it all? Did I watch it all? Yeah. Um, so, good luck to me. We haven't recorded (laughs) it yet. So, 
at time of recording this episode, we have not recorded that episode, but we're doing that next Friday. Um, and it's out by the time you're hearing this episode. Uh, but good luck to me remembering a shred of anything that happened in that show. Thoughts on the uh, lizard hallucination? Uh, <laughs> still boring. <laughs> in no way a spoiler for anyone listening, but like, I think it's in episode two. Yeah. Martin fell asleep. I persevered, wasn't enjoying it. He woke up and was like, what did I miss in the episode? And I was like, I don't know. He ate a lizard, went to the <clears throat> desert, hallucinated, did a dance, and the episode ended. And he did not question yeah. it at all. I mean, that's because that's what happened. It was like, all right. You just stated facts is all. Yeah. Not a good show. Nope. Did you finish it? <laughs> Certainly didn't. Oh, no, yeah, well, that was where I left yeah, it. Yeah, that was the right decision. <laughs> I had originally... I was like, I've given it two episodes. I've seen enough. I don't, I don't. Uh, life is short, you know? I... <laughs> yeah, I watched the first episode and was like, oh, I'm probably not going to finish this. And then Mike was like, I want to do an episode on it. And I was like, well, that's how you get me to finish stuff. So... Uh, yeah, we we did that. Um, I don't know if we're going to do a Batman episode. I would like to do a Batman episode because I freaking love that movie. But uh, yeah, uh, I don't know if we're going to do that. We're definitely doing Nicolas Cage. Uh, massive Talent. Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. That's the name of the movie. Um, that's like my most anticipated movie of the year. I want to see that movie so bad. <laughs> So that'll be out sometime in April Same. as well. Um, yeah, April's got some good releases that I want to see. Everything Everywhere All at Once is coming out this month. Mm-hmm. Yep. We're recording this the day before April 1st, so uh, it is not April quite yet for us. But it is for you. Um, <laughs> I don't know how to segue into the socials after that, but happy April, I guess. Um <laughs> Uh, by the way, if you're if you are listening to this in the future and you're wondering about the uh, the Moby Dick stuff, that was just for the bit of uh, <laughs> I needed to replace some audio, and then our April Fool's Day episode. You're not getting Moby Dick has like a hundred and seven chapters or something crazy. <laughs> it's still so funny to me. <laughs> Uh, the funniest thing about that is that people were like, this is great. And I was like, no, it's not. Like, you don't have to pretend. It's dumb as hell. Like, it's fine. I know it's dumb as shit. Like, you can tell me. It's like several people are like, oh, man, that came out so good. And like, it, like, as far as editing, yeah, I agree to pat myself on the back. But it is like, it's so stupid. It's, uh, it was mm. such a it's, bad decision. It's the fact that mine and Chandri's reactions are still there. Uh -huh. So it just sounds like I'm having like a merry old time listening to you read Moby uh -huh. Dick. And that's possibly the funniest thing. <laughs> it's that. And then like, oh, that's a really good point you brought up about Quint in this scene, MJ. And it's like, I didn't talk about that guy at all. Like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, we made the best of a, <laughs> of a bad situation, but I'm very delighted the way that it turned yeah, out. Yeah, so to, to peek behind the curtain a little more on that, what happened is we lost that audio, 
And I like, I was like, okay, I could probably remember what I was trying to say. And then I listened to it and I was like, I got nothing. Like I'd, I have no idea where I would have gone with analysis on this section. And so I texted Sarah and was like, hey, I don't know. And she was like, I don't know, maybe put music or like, so she was like, make it a bit somehow. And then I spent the rest of the day like, how do, what do I, should I do? And so I was thinking about it and I was like, ah, uh, oh, okay. What if I read the first chapter of Jaws? And I was like, but Jaws sucks. And it's a little on the nose. And I was like, oh, Moby Dick. What if I, like, I was like, Moby Dick's public domain. I could probably find an ebook of it somewhere. So I just did that and recorded that. And it worked better than it should have, I think. Uh, but it was also, like, totally ill-advised. And, like, I was so nervous about how weird and dumb and goofy that bit was that I reached out to three separate people two podcasters and one who I know is like not a podcaster, but a diehard podcast listener to be like, would this annoy the hell out of you if I did this? And she, and she doesn't listen to like our podcasts. Um, but I was like, what, like as a listener of a show, if a show did this because like to make up for a technical difficulty, would you be mad at it? And she was like, no, that's hilarious. She was like, that's Andy Kaufman reading great Gatsby on the, on stage. And I was like, okay, let's pump the brakes. I'm not Andy Kaufman. <laughs> like, <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that's, that's what's going on with that. I'm sure people were almost more confused by the April Fool's Day episode having chapter two at the end. Than, uh... I'm sorry. I, that has not come out at time of recording and I'm so excited to listen. It's to. literally like, it literally is like, it's Jaws O'Clock somewhere. Chapter two, the carpet bag. Yeah, people are tuning in the week after that to get their dramatic reading of uh, Moby Dick. Sorry to disappoint. <laughs> it's not happening because there's like a hundred some odd chapters and there's there were slurs that I had to edit out of the second chapter. So I can't imagine that stops <laughs> over the course of the book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I started reading chapter two and was like, um, maybe I should have read this before I started recording. Uh, and then I realized I could probably edit around it. I even went so far as to, because I was like, well, now I've committed to the bit. I have to find a way around it. I did go so far as to record myself reading the first chapter of Jaws. And I hated it. So I deleted it and then figured out like, okay, the super racist stuff is only in one paragraph and I can work my way around it to like still get mm -hmm. the point across. Um, so if you're a diehard Moby Dick fan and you're wondering where all the racist stuff went, I'm not recording myself saying that. Uh. <laughs> I mean the the good thing is if uh you know if 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 any, if all else fails you have a career ahead of you as a potential audiobook reader so <laughs> that was a little bit of a litmus test I don't necessarily want to narrate but I wouldn't mind editing them so I, it definitely was kind mm -hmm. of like could I do this <laughs> so <laughs> That was honestly, that was the, the propulsion for chapter two is I was like, oh, it'll be funny to follow up that bit week to week uh, as the April Fool's joke. But then I was like, <laughs> but then what is this something I would enjoy doing is editing an audiobook? And turns out, yeah, not bad. If you want your audiobook edited, you reach out. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so dumb. So dumb. 
Uh, if you want more dumb bullshit, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Jaws for a minute. Um, actually, it's at a minimum there. Uh, every once in a while, I just go goblin mode and t- tweet like just chaos off that that, uh, mm-hmm. that 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 account. But for the most part, it's Sarah, which is you know pretty normal. Um, pretty normal stuff from her. You can always tell the difference between an MJ tweet and a Sarah tweet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yep. So at Jaws for a minute. <clears throat> on Twitter, um, at Jaws for a Minute on Finstagram. Um, if you would like to follow us individually on Twitter, I am at MJSmith891, and Sarah is at Sarah Buttery, S-A-R-A-H-B-U-D-D-E-R-Y. Um, if you're not on social medias, but you would like to reach out, we have an email address. Uh, you can send us a, a, a note at jawsforaminute at gmail.com. All this info is also on our uh twitter page and our instagram page in our bio on a link tree so um yeah you can you can follow the link tree there the other things you will find in our link tree are uh merch links so we have a a red bubble and a tea public shop open um to get one of two incredible designs that were designed by alex uh at hex ghosts on Twitter. Um, you can also purchase our theme song, which was written and performed by Kristen Falls, uh, at Kristen Falls Music on Instagram. Um, you find you can find a link to her Instagram as well as her Bandcamp page on our Twitter bio or on our link tree. And uh, she also has her Bandcamp profile links on her Instagram as well. Um, last thing to support the show monetarily, if you would like to donate a minimum of three dollars to us via coffee, you can find a link to our coffee page there and give us some uh virtual caffeine or uh more than likely a powerade zero in my case since i do not consume caffeine so um if you do that and you're a first time donor you will also be entered into a drawing to win a free uh lj fam t-shirt so um yeah you can do that Uh, if you'd like to support the show for free it would mean a lot even if you just did that and you can do that by uh rating and reviewing us on your podcatcher of choice um, Apple and Spotify are the two big ones. Good Pods, I think, is also coming up. Um, a lot of a lot of indie podcasts are using Good Pods. I don't know if they, I think there's a social media component to Good Pods. So if you are a Good Pods user and you would like to leave us a uh, little review there, we would appreciate that. Um, yeah. Until next time, it's Jaws o'clock somewhere. Chapter three: The Spouter Inn.